The following program does not offer personal medical advice. Please consult your doctor before using any treatment or product we cover. Welcome to Go to Health Radio with your host, Jonathan Marks. We provide a welcoming environment where experts educate you on important health topics, answer your questions, and provide information from which you can benefit in consultation with your doctor. And now, here is Jonathan Marks. Hello, everybody. This is Jonathan Marks, and welcome to Go to Health Radio. This is our first show. I'm so glad you're joining us. I wanted to share that the purpose of this show live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific, is to interview health experts literally from around the world who will provide you with health news you can use. We want to elevate your life with evidence-based information from the health sciences. Now, as we said at the beginning of the show, important note, we don't offer medical advice. We urge you to check with your doctor before following up on show information or products we cover. Let me share a little bit about my background before we get started. I've had a 27-year executive career in multimedia companies that you would know, like Viacom, the Yellow Pages, uh, TiVo, also high-speed internet access. And since 2000, the last 21 years, I've been an entrepreneur in medical and health marketing and continuing medical education and medical writing. I've put on many hours of educational webinars, and I'm also a trainer for the U.S. Centers for Disease Control. I've been training them in medical communications since 2013. So I've got a lot of experience and a lot of contacts in the industry, and I'll be bringing those to you um, as we go through the show weeks here. I'm the president of Inkwell Medical Communications, and as I mentioned, I train the CDC uh, in medical communications, and I will talk about <clears throat> a number of other websites and projects I've been involved with. Today, we're focusing on ADHD, and I'll, I'll share with you why we are, um, but uh, you can refer to ADHDinadults.com. It's a wonderful website. Um, we have trained over 30,000 health professionals about ADHD, and we also have 475,000 views on YouTube. So that's ADHD in adults and uh, either before or during or after the show, um, I want to uh, encourage you to visit there because I think you'll learn a lot. <clears throat> Excuse me. If you have ADHD, you know someone who has ADHD um, and uh, it could really be very helpful for them if they're not listening to the show. So please refer this show to them. Our first guest, unfortunately, can't make it today, but um, he has sent me his information, which I will share with you. He is Stephen Ferrone, PhD, and he's Distinguished Professor and Vice Chair for Research in the Department of Psychiatry at SUNY Upstate Medical University in New York. In 2019 and 2020, his citation metrics placed him in the top, now get this, 0.01% of scientists across all fields. He's very, very well known in science and medicine. His contributions to the field of ADHD have been recognized by many, many awards. He's also um, been recognized by the Psychiatric Genetics and the American Psychopathological Association. And he's currently the president of the World Federation of ADHD and he's also the program chair for ADHD in adults.com. So, 
Steve and his group have just come up with what's called the International Consensus on ADHD. And so what is that? This is has just been published on January 25th, so it's very new. And you can um, visit the World Federation at ADHD-Federation.org. And let me share a little bit about what's going on here with this, um, with ADHD. 5% of people in the United States and worldwide have ADHD. Now, that's one in 20. So, um, you know, if you have a group of 20 people in, the, in, the, in, the, in a room, at least one person will have some kind of ADHD. And it comes in different forms from mild to, to moderate to severe. Now, the U.S. population is about 330 million. That means with 5% prevalence that 165 million people have ADHD. So it's a lot of folks. Now, 90% of those adults are undiagnosed. They don't know they have it, and they haven't been treated. Now, this ADHD disorder was discovered in 1775, and it's been documented in the early 1900s, mostly in hyperactive boys. And until the late 70s, 1970s that is, ADHD was thought to disappear as children matured and hyperactivity lessened. So all these overactive teens were taken off their medications, or maybe they were never treated at all. But the fact is that adults today, many of them are undiagnosed and untreated because we didn't know that ADHD continued into adulthood. But now through research, we do know. So ADHD, <clears throat> and it's part of the reason I'm focusing on this, costs the U.S. economy $181 billion annually. That's in direct medical costs, in costs of families. If you have an ADHD child, the statistics show that it's five times more money to raise an ADHD child than it is to raise a normal child. There are huge costs in criminality. It is thought not thought, but it's been documented that up to 40% of prisoners are ADHD adults, that, they, that we are actually using the criminal, the criminal system to treat ADHD. And this is really suboptimal, as you can imagine, and very expensive. It'd be nice if we could treat ADHD earlier. Also, there's much loss of work and productivity to the tune of about $5 billion. And ADHD is also accompanied, if you don't know, by many other what are called comorbidities. They're coexisting health conditions that can come along with ADHD, such as anxiety, depression, obesity, um, alcohol use, drug use, <clears throat> and often doctors who are not trained in ADHD um, will not recognize the ADHD that's underlying their patients with anxiety or depression or obesity or, or drug and alcohol problems. ADHD is worth checking out because it might be underlying a lot of these other conditions that we see. And the final cost to society is accidents. ADHD people can tend to be impulsive. They can tend to have more accidents, more car accidents, more injuries, brain injuries. They can take more risks. Um, so it really is a major 
um, disorder that we should be aware of. Now, I know most of you have probably heard of ADHD squirrel, or I have a little ADHD, or just there are just so many stories out there um, that are really not accurate about what ADHD is and isn't. You don't have a little ADHD. You either have ADHD or you don't, and it can get diagnosed, and um, you can be treated for it. So people with ADHD, according to this international consensus statement, and this is from over 200 countries um, and uh, over 200 scientists that contributed to this consensus statement from around the world, People with ADHD are at increased risk for obesity, asthma, allergies, diabetes, hypertension, sleep problems, epilepsy, sexually transmitted infections, immune disorders, and metabolic disorders. People with ADHD, again, according to this consensus, are at increased risk for low quality of life, substance use, accidental industry injuries, educational underachievement, unemployment, gambling, teenage pregnancy, difficulty socializing, delinquency, suicide, and premature death. This is pretty heavy. If you know someone who has AGHT, let them know uh, that this is serious and that they can get diagnosed, they can get treated. We'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. Regulatory agencies around the world have determined that several medications are safe and effective for reducing the symptoms of ADHD as shown by randomized controlled clinical trials. Now, what's a randomized clinical trial? What that means is that there's a large group of subjects in the trial and randomly certain portions of the members of the trial are given the medication and other members are given a placebo. So it's a controlled clinical trial. So you can really measure the difference between those people who are getting the substance and those people who are getting the placebo. So a lot of the, the research that's been done has been through randomized controlled clinical trials. And that's really the gold standard for doing clinical trials and proving things. Now, what else do we know? Treatment with ADHD medications reduces, it actually reduces accidental injuries, traumatic brain injury. It helps reduce substance abuse and cigarette smoking. It, it improves educational achievement. It also reduces bone fractures and sexually transmitted infections because there's not so much um, impulsiveness. It can also de um, decrease depression, the tendency towards suicide and teenage pregnancy. Now, the adverse effects of medications, because all medications have, an, have some kind of side effect, but they are typically mild and they can be addressed by changing the dose or the medication. Now, there are two types of medications. There are stimulant medications for ADHD, which stimulate you. It's like Ritalin or almost like caffeine, but they, the stimulant medications are more effective than non-stimulant medications but they have some disadvantages, which is they can be diverted by people, especially kids in college can share their ADHD medications with their roommates uh, to help them study. That's not such a great thing because you really shouldn't be on a medication unless it's been prescribed by your doctor. Now, non-medication um, non treatments 
are for ADHD. Well, let me talk. I'm sorry. There, there are, there are stimulant medications. There are also non-stimulant medications. And um, if we measure effectiveness of stimulant medications on a zero to one scale, stimulant medications are like 0.8 or 0.9. They're quite high. When you go into the non-stimulant medication, it drops down to 0.6 or 0.7. They're still effective, but not quite as effective. And non-medication treatments for ADHD, and we're actually doing research on those. So that's like probiotics and food avoidance and a number of other um, categories of food that are actually being researched. It's been proven that they're less effective than medication treatments, but they're frequently useful to help problems that remain after medication has been optimized. So you can try non-medication treatments, but they shouldn't be in substitute for taking medications. Medications really are proven to be the best um, for reducing symptoms of ADHD. So what are some conclusions about this? We're becoming more aware in the US of the need to care for those with mental health issues. We've seen this so much recently with the, all the recent mass shootings. Um, so we're really just becoming more aware about the importance of dealing with mental health. ADHD is a highly prevalent and costly attention that uh, costly condition that needs attention. And so if we address this and we get have, if we help ADHD people get treatment, um, it can be very effective in improving their lives. Again, that's what we're here for is health news you can use and elevating your life. Now I mentioned before ADHD in adults and uh, Steve Ferrone, who provided me with this information today, he's the program director for ADHD in adults. And ADHD in adults trains healthcare professionals and the public in issues concerning adult ADHD. We have trained 30,000 professionals online in the last seven years. We're very proud of that. Again, ADHD was not an, an understood um, disorder. It was thought that it ended in teenage years when hyperactive boys would calm down. But we now know that ADHD is a lifelong condition. It changes over the period of one's life, but it can still have uh, significant effects on one's life. And that's why we've made a major effort of training professionals online to let them know about how to screen for ADHD because we have a six question screener test. Um, you can get diagnosed for ADHD and then you can get treated for ADHD with effective medications and non-medication treatments. So you can learn a lot about this at ADHDinadults.com. And again, we've also had a wonderful result on YouTube. We have 475,000 views on our ADHD in Adults YouTube channel. So I encourage you to uh, talk about that. Now, in our next uh, segment here, we've given you some background about what ADHD is. We're going to be talking with David Goodman, MD, and he's doing a session on forgetful and disorganized. Is it old age or is it ADHD? And what he's going to be talking about how uh, in adults, we all, as we get older, kind of diminish in mental capacity, but it's, it's, it's important to know whether ADHD is really behind this 
or whether it really is old age taking place. And uh, David Goodman is going to be talking about that. He's very helpful. He's been in the field for a long time. And um, I'll just introduce him now. He's assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Johns Hopkins University of Medicine. He's also the director of the Attention Deficit Disorder Center of Maryland, and he's an internationally recognized expert. His website is addadult.com. So stay tuned for our next segment. We'll be back with you shortly, and then we'll, do, we'll go with Dr. David Goodman. And our third uh, segment is with Dr. Joseph Biederman. He's the chief of the clinical and research programs in pediatric psychopharmacology at Massachusetts General Hospital, and he also teaches at Harvard. And he's going to talk about a great app that he's just put on the market called MySophia, and we'll understand what that means. But it helps ADHD patients with two-way texting. It gives them medication reminders, and it also provides them with education online through their phone about being an ADHD patient. So again, wonderful that you're here. We're going to be here every Wednesday, 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, and we'll be bringing you health experts from around the world to help you improve your life. Health news you can use, elevate your life. We'll be back after this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America presents a new kind of health awareness talk show, the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. Show host Sharon Kleina interviews leading scientists to discover how each of us can become proactive in protecting our personal health environment in an increasingly unhealthy world. Every show offers new information that could save your life. The Sharon Kleina Hour is health from an environmental perspective, your ultimate source for a personal environmental lifestyle. Listen Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel and Wednesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, 
Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. Hey, this is Jonathan Marks. Welcome back to Go to Health. And today's focus is on ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. It's also known as ADD. And as we heard from Dr. Stephen Ferrone in our last segment, ADHD is a well-documented disorder in both children and adults around the world. But this wasn't always so. ADHD was well-recognized in boys only, until about the 1970s, and it was then that researchers discovered two important phenomena. First, that ADHD has equal prevalence in both women and men, and second, they found that ADHD continues for two-thirds of children into adulthood, and this is therefore a diagnosis for the lifespan. Our next guest, Dr. David Goodman, MD, is going to talk about ADHD in older adults and what that can look like. His topic is forgetful and disorganized, old age, and ADHD. David Goodman, MD, is Assistant Professor of Psychiatry and Behavioral Sciences at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He's also Director of the Adult Attention Deficit Disorder Center of Maryland in Lutherville and Director of Suburban Psychiatric Associates, LLC. An internationally recognized expert, he has presented over 600 lectures to medical specialists, you can view his website at addadult.com. Welcome, Dr. Goodman. So tell us about ADHD in older adults and how these symptoms can be confused sometimes with dementia. Hi, Jonathan. Thanks for thanks so much for having me on this program and allowing me to discuss a topic that is not highly recognized. We all think about ADHD in kids, and now we think about ADHD in adults, but nobody actually grows out of this disorder. So when you get to 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, you're likely having the same symptoms you had when you were 30s and 20s and in your teens. It's only been newly recognized because of a lot of research that's come out of Amsterdam and Sweden, in fact, that has shown the prevalence rate, that is the number of people in the general population with ADHD over age 50 is about 3%. Mm-hmm. To put that in context, the adult prevalence, 18 to 44, is about 4.5%. So the reality is, look, once you have ADHD as an adult, you're likely going to continue to have this into older years. Why, why is this an issue? Because if you go to your doctor and say you're having difficulty focusing, you're distracted, you're forgetful, you lose things, they may say, look, it's, you're not a young chicken. This is just an age-related issue. And the fact is that if you have ADHD, it's highly treatable, and you don't want to miss it and simply dismiss it as age-related. Now, why at this age don't people know that they might have ADHD? Well, if you've spent your whole life with these experiences of not being able to get things done, you're forgetful, you misplace things, you run late, you lose jobs, you can't manage your money, you pay bills late, uh, your spouse complains that you're inconsistent. Your coworkers don't rely on you because they know you're not going to be able to finish things on time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just think that that's you and the environment criticizes you. They say you're lazy, you're dumb, you're not motivated, you don't care. Uh, and you just assume that that's who you are as a person. 
if you get evaluated and diagnosed with this and you're told that you do have ADHD, there are very effective treatments and medications that can relieve that. And imagine that you spent your whole life with your left arm tied behind your back and then all of a sudden somebody somebody released it and said, no, you know what, you actually have two hands. Look how much more you can do. So um, understanding that this exists in older age is important. Now you'll say, well, how come people don't know anything about this? And that's because the literature just developed over the last 10 years or so. Uh-huh. And so we're only first getting to know this. A lot of physicians and clinicians around the world haven't been trained in adult ADHD, let alone understand it extends into older age. Right. And you and I both work together on a, another project called ADHD in Adults, which is at ADHDinadults.com, where we're educating. We've educated over 28,000 professionals on ADHD in adults. And so I guess a lot of people in this age didn't even know or weren't diagnosed, you know, when they were growing up. Correct. There was a study in the U.S., the largest epidemiologic psychiatric study looking at 18 to 44-year-olds, and they found that of those who had ADHD in adulthood, 75% were never diagnosed as children. So it's not that if you weren't diagnosed as a child, you can't have it. It's Mm -hmm. that so many of these older uh, adults grew up in an age where ADHD wasn't identified in children, and so they were never diagnosed. In another smaller study looking at 25 older adults, 60 to 75, none of them were ever diagnosed as children. So it is very important for clinicians when they evaluate patients to go through the symptoms and the history of those symptoms and not to assume if you weren't diagnosed, you can't have it as an older adult. The other the other fault to the diagnosis is that a lot of people who are adults may have achieved relative success in their careers. Um, and so you say, well, you know, if you're a doctor, you're an attorney, you're an accountant, you can't have ADHD. That's absolutely not true. IQ and ADHD are independent of each other, and you can have an IQ that's very high mm-hmm. uh, and have ADHD, and you can have IQ of average and, and have ADHD as well. So. Don't discount somebody having ADHD simply because they've been relatively successful in their in their lives. Got it. And how do people experience ADHD at, at this age, at these senior years? Well, the, the, the symptoms are relatively similar to uh, younger adults. And that is, again, people typically run late. They don't keep track of their bills. Their bills get paid late. They pay a lot of late fees. They have difficulty managing their money. They have difficulty remembering things during the course of the day. They're often misplacing things and spend a lot of time looking for things. Their spouse complains that they're inconsistent in following through. It takes them longer to get things done during the course of the day. Uh, Less work gets done during the course of the day. Generally, the ADHD individual measures their day by how many things got started, and the rest of the world measures the day by how many things got finished. Mm -hmm. So... Often, you'll be able to identify that this has been your style for all these years, but more often than not, the environment is telling you this. You lose your jobs. Your boss calls you because you're not finishing projects on time. Your spouse is annoyed because you don't follow through and remember to get the grocery list. Right. Um, so that, that's how it demonstrates. And, and people will often say, well, look, you lived your whole life like this. Why, why do we need to bother identifying and treating it? Well, for two reasons. One is that quality of life, and this has been measured in research, quality of life is diminished 
for older adults with untreated ADHD and quality of life improves when ADHD in older adults is treated. So it's a quality of life issue. The other issue is this, that if you believe that you are your ADHD, once your ADHD gets treated, you come to understand there's a difference between who you are as a person and what you have as a disorder. And that really is very liberating and and helps resurrect people's self-image and and Mm self-esteem. And now how do you tell the difference between age-related cognitive decline and ADHD? I'm sure that can be confusing for people. It is very confusing. So to put a point on this, age-related cognitive changes, forgetfulness, word finding, difficulty spelling, typically happen later in life. If you ask the person, did you have this 10 years ago? They'll say, no, I didn't have this experience. The person with ADHD will say, I can't remember ever not being this way. Mm -hmm. And so that really is the trajectory. Again, ADHD is anchored in childhood or early adolescence. If you're complaining about cognitive difficulties at 55 and you didn't have these same difficulties at 40, then you don't have ADHD. We have to go looking for something else. Right. What else do you consider when evaluating an older adult for ADHD? So there are several things to consider from a medical perspective. One is, are you on medications that might compromise your thinking ability? Because many people over the age of 50 are on high blood pressure medications, diabetic Mm -hmm. medications, uh, medications for cholesterol, and a variety of other, other medications. So we first go looking for medications. Then there are some medical illnesses that might contribute to cognitive difficulty. So if you've had a traumatic brain injury, if you've had repetitive concussive injuries uh, during sports in your teens and 20s, uh, hypothyroidism, that is low functioning thyroid. So there's a list of medical considerations before we even come to a psychiatric. Then when you get to the psychiatric considerations, is this person depressed? So we know that when people are severely depressed or severely anxious, their thinking ability is compromised. People will be forgetful and misplace things and get distracted. But if the depression and anxiety are so severe, then you treat the depression and the anxiety first Mm -hmm. and then see what the residual cognitive deficits are. Now, you can have ADHD age into 50 and 60 and still have age-related cognitive decline. So those two different sets of symptoms are different and you can have both simultaneously. Now, aren't there a lot of other comorbidities or coexisting symptoms that go along with ADHD that might be complicating this picture? Exactly, Jonathan. And and what I mentioned earlier is for the psychiatric comorbidities, you have anxiety, you have depression. You can also have substance use. If you've been drinking your whole life or you've been using narcotics or smoking marijuana chronically for decades, all of those substances are going to disrupt your brain chemistry and alter your ability to think and reason, execute, control your moods. And so we go looking for all of those other conditions as well. Now, you may have depression and ADHD. You may have substance use disorder and ADHD. Um, But then you clarify which of these conditions are there. And then the goal is to prioritize which diagnosis gets treated first, second, and third. The object is to treat one without making the others worse. And and a good clinician will understand how to go about doing that because that diagnostic prioritization, which gets treated first, second, and third, also leads to considerations for the sequence of medications and psychotherapies. 
Given everything you just talked about, David, what treatments are effective for this age? The, the treatments for ADHD that we use in children and adolescents and adults are, are equally effective for older adults. And that is medications fall into several categories. The stimulants are the most often used. And then there are non-stimulants. So if you go to see a clinician, they should be familiar with the different medication options. Usually, we recommend starting with long-acting stimulant medications. Those break up into two categories, methylphenidate compounds and amphetamine compounds. There's no way of looking at somebody and their symptoms and saying you'll respond better to drug A or drug B. So -hmm. it's a matter of starting with one agent and then walking through the agents. If the medicine is helpful, you will notice fairly quickly within days at any given dose that your initiative and motivation to get things started is better your procrastination is less, your sustained attention is better, less time gets spent on tasks, more tasks get done during the course of the day. You generally feel calmer emotionally, less worrying, less overwhelmed. If you are historically a fidgety and restless person, that often decreases. And so you're able to sit for longer periods of time. You can read for longer periods of time you can retain the information for longer periods of time. Mm -hmm. Your recall of information during the course of the day is more fluid, so you're less likely to misplace things and lose things. It's really quite dramatic. It's not a maybe kind of sort of experience. Mm -hmm. It's blurred vision, put on glasses kind of experience. Wonderful. And then there are other medications that are in the non-stimulant categories that can be used. Now, for older adults who are on medications for their medical illnesses, the prescriber, your clinician, needs to be aware of any drug interactions or any risks. So if you have hypertension or if you have cardiac illness, then there needs to be some safety monitoring for that. Right. Beyond medication, there's therapy. I mean, there's there are organizational skills and behavioral skills that you can learn how to better manage your time, visual cues and auditory cues to remind you during the course of the day what needs to be done. And there are ADHD coaches in the United States, perhaps elsewhere in the world, that can help people learn new organizational skills. There's a lot of online resources, like, for example, our, um, our website of ADHDinadults.com, as well as other international websites as well, depending on what country you're in. You know, if, if we have an international audience listening to this, there may be people who can readily access experts in ADHD, but my guess is around the world it is very difficult to come by psychiatrists and neurologists and clinicians who know much about ADHD in adults, let alone ADHD in older adults. So in this arena, it really behooves the patient to go looking online for credible information and researchers and identify where they can, where they can get a, a, a reliable and accurate diagnosis. Now, how does somebody get evaluated for this? So ADHD is a real disorder that's evidenced by differences in brain morphology, um, dopamine receptors, and and genetics. 75% of the cause is genetic. So we often go looking for a first-degree family member who has this disorder. And, and when you say, look, you're 55 years old, why did you come see me? They'll tell me, well, their 35-year-old son who recently got diagnosed said, you know, Dad, you've always been like this. You didn't show up to school on time. You didn't sign the permission slips. You didn't help me learn how to ride a bicycle because you were on your cell phone um, 
And the and the dad finally comes around and says, you know, you're right. That's how you that's how you get diagnosed. So thank you very much, Dr. David W. Goodman, MD, for helping us understand ADHD and older adults. Dr. Goodman is assistant professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine. He sees patients both in person and virtually as the director of the Adult Attention Deficit Disorder Center of Maryland in Lutherville and as Director of Suburban Psychiatric Associates, LLC. His website, again, where you can visit, is addadult.com. Thanks so much for being with us today, Dr. Goodman. It's been very useful information. Thank you, Jonathan. And stay with us, everybody, because after the break, we're going to be talking with the inventor of an amazing app, which reminds ADHD patients to take their medication on time and also educates patients and families on their smartphones right after this commercial break. This is Jonathan Marks and Go to Health. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? Definitely not. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning into the CBD Ed Show with host Edward Cheney. Ed will explain full-spectrum CBD, where the whole hemp plant can be used for treatment, and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Go to Health Radio. To reach Jonathan Marks or his guest expert on the live program, Call in to 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Jonathan Marks at gotohealthmedia.com. Now, back to this week's show. 
Hello, everyone. I Boy, I, I hope you got as much um, help out of the interview with Dr. Goodman as I did. He's a wonderful presenter, and I have the honor of presenting another wonderful presenter, Dr. Joseph Biederman. Uh, he's going to be talking about ADHD patient education and reminders via two-way texting. Dr. Biederman is chief of the clinical and research programs in pediatric psychopharmacology and adult ADHD at the Massachusetts General Hospital. He's also director of the Allen and Lorraine Bressler Clinical and Research Program for Autism Spectrum Disorders at Massachusetts General. I always, I always have trouble saying that. And also the MGH Trustees Endowed Chair in Pediatric Psychopharmacology. He's also a professor of psychology, psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He's the author and co-author of over 800 scientific articles, 650 abstracts, and 70 book chapters. He's been a mentor to more than 15 junior investigators in the year, and Dr. Biederman is board certified in general and child psychiatry. His website, which we'll repeat, is mysofia.online, mysofia.online. Hi, Joe. How are you today? Um, very well. Thank you, Jonathan, for inviting me. And I had the pleasure of, of hearing Dr. Goodman's presentation. Always when I hear him talk, I'm very impressed about how articulate and how clear his message is. I'm sure that the audience will greatly benefit from it. Uh, but I'm going to talk about the related topic uh, that I think as a practicing clinician in pediatric and adult psychiatry is very dear to my heart. Uh, the issue of adherence medicines. As you know, we're talking about a condition that affects at least 10% of the population, particularly children, estimating to affect 5% of adults. This probably are underestimates, considering that many people, as Dr. Goodman said, have subsyndromal forms or atypical forms of ADHD. So it's a very prevalent condition. And one of the things that already addressed by Dr. Goodman that we wanted to emphasize is that ADHD is a disorder of the brain, not a sociological problem of watching too much TV or playing too many uh, computer games. Uh, and its origin is largely genetic. It's one of the most genetic medical conditions. It is estimated that 80% of the risk for ADHD are genes. Uh, the brain is affected, as you heard from Dr. Grudman. We did a very intriguing study that look at some very uh, novel technology in neuroimaging that is called functional MRI. And this technology looks at connectivity in the brain. So the circuit that we were able to document that is clearly affected in adults with ADHD is a circuit that is necessary for normal cognition. Therefore, a disorder of ADHD that is not normal cognition, people having attention, difficulties with time management, so the idea of this finding support the notion that ADHD is anchored in the brain, not uh, lazy people that are uh, underachieving, but the real brain disorder. As I mentioned to you and mentioned before by Dr. Goodman, uh, twin studies uh, document in a very consistent way that ADHD is a highly genetic illness. Just to give you a reference point, the irritability coefficients mean that the, if you have ADHD, your son has ADHD, the chances that that ADHD is driven by a gene is close to 80%. Mm. 
for comparison, uh, uh, depression is less than 50% genetic. Uh, even breast cancer is about 30% uh, genetic or asthma. So schizophrenia, bipolar illness, ADHD are the most genetic psychiatric illnesses. So it's very important because ADHD is still considered a pariah in psychiatry, people still believe that this is not a real, real, real disorder. And it's very real, as Dr. Goodman uh, told you, and uh, produces suffering and intense uh, difficulties in people's life. We did one of the very few, uh, perhaps the first epidemiological study. This study was done before the famous study by Dr. Kessler from the National Comorbidity Survey documenting that 5% of adults of ADHD, the study that we did took a representative sample of the US population with 500 people that were diagnosed in their communities with ADHD, normal intelligence, largely untreated, and 500 people without ADHD. When we look at their academic performance, it's incredible. The academic performance is clearly impaired, poor grades in school, needing tutoring, placement in special classes, repeating a grade. These are people of normal intelligence that clearly had difficulties in school. Uh, in the workplace, is a very serious problem. People with ADHD lose employment, are underemployment, underemployed, searching for employment. So it's unbelievably consequential and affects, I don't have time, but affects all aspects of life, marriage, the relationship with uh, uh, others uh, socially and, and uh, with uh, uh, your children, if you have children. But one of the areas that we documented uh, uh, that is important to tell you is the enormous economical impact of ADHD. We calculated that in all uh, education levels, on average, people with ADHD will lose $10,000 of income per year. If you take a 5% prevalence of ADHD, the cost to the US economy just of underemployment in ADHD is estimated to be more than 100 billions a year. Mm. And this does not include addictions, uh, depression, anxiety, suffering, none of that, just underemployment. I wanted to point out to you something that we observed in this study that was published, that the cost, the, uh, the uh, income differential in the high profession, physician, lawyers, architects, is $50,000 a year. So if you're a physician, a lawyer with ADHD, you will earn on average less than $50,000 than your peer without ADHD, extraordinary find. ADHD is associated with say, other things like mortality. This is a study that includes millions of people. Uh, these are registries in Scandinavia that provide extraordinary useful information. And uh, this uh, registry study is uh, interesting enough also, as I will tell you in a moment, link outcomes with treatment. So this study shows that ADHD is associated with excess mortality. So it will shorten your life, mostly for unnatural causes like accident, injuries, and suicide. But we also documented that ADHD is associated with all what's called the Framingham 500 study that established the risk for cardiovascular disease, cholesterol, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, obesity, all of those risk factors are overrepresented in people with ADHD. So it will, will affect mm -hmm. your life and your health. 
on this bad news, I, I, I shared with you the bad news about ADHD. I would like to share the good news. ADHD, as you heard Dr. Goodman mention, is a highly treatable disorder. Not only is highly treatable, I would say it's probably one of the most treatable medical conditions, not only in psychiatry. And that's uh, the reason for that is that we have extraordinarily effective medicines, the stimulus drugs in the Ritalin and amphetamine families that have extraordinary potency in treating this disorder. These are all medicines that have an incredible safety record. So we have here very powerful medicines, highly effective, that can mitigate many of the risks that ADHD is associated. Not only ADHD, but many of the problems that ADHD brings to the table. So for example, we published a paper uh, some a decade ago uh, documented in a longitudinal study that we followed children from childhood into adult life, that treatment in childhood, stimulant treatment in childhood, significantly reduces the risk for a wide range of adverse outcomes, including mood disorder, anxiety disorder, conduct disorder, positional defiant disorders, academic outcome, extraordinary benefit to the patient only to those that take the medications I'm going to tell you in a moment. But one of the most feared outcomes of ADHD in pediatrics is substance abuse. This is addictions to drug abuse or addiction to drugs or alcohol. We were one of the first to document uh, many years ago that treating children with ADHD significantly reduces the risk for developing abuse or dependence to drugs or alcohol, normalizes the risk. The risk is no longer higher in treated children, higher than control. Again, an extraordinary important outcome considering the morbidity associated with the development of addictions. Not only addiction to drugs is diminished by treatment with stimulants, but the initiation of smoking as you know, smoking remains an extraordinary addictive prevalent problem in the U.S. It is estimated that half a million uh, people die directly as a consequence of smoking. Treating children with ADHD normalizes the risk, significantly decreases the risk from starting smoking. Smoking in ADHD is a gateway drug. That means those children with ADHD that smoke will progress into drugs, alcohol, and other abuses. ADHD also is associated with a very significant risk for automobile crashes. I cannot tell you the anxiety of the parents have. In the US, you can drive at age of 15. So the young driver is at risk in general. Young driver with ADHD are at a phenomenal risk to do self-harm or harm others on the road. We were able to document in a driving simulation study that under double-blind conditions, that treating children with stimulant, and these are adolescents, of course, reduced the risk for simulated collision in a simulator by 70%. Extraordinary. Hmm. <clears throat> we did recently published a very important paper, important, I'm biased because I'm the author of the paper, but we looked at registry data that includes millions, millions of people that link outcomes to treatment. And we were able to document, we found 40 articles that had millions of people, and we were able to document a very significant protective effect of stimulants on mood disorders, suicidality, criminality, 
substance use disorders, accidents and injuries, traumatic brain injury, concussions, motor vehicle crashes, and educational outcomes. And these risks were mitigated only when patients were adhering to the medication. We did a meta-analysis is a statistical way to aggregate data uh, that can show that these effects were statistically significant and, of course, clinically meaningful. So we concluded that treating uh, people with medication is associated with very important decreases in major risk for a wide range of ADHD-associated functional outcome, supporting effort aimed at early diagnosis and treatment of individuals with ADHD, but more importantly, to improve the adherence to treatment, as I'm going to tell you in a second, is extremely poor among the poorest in medicine. So, so, I, jo- so Joe, I just wanted to let you know, we have about two minutes left, and okay. I want to make so sure you get to my I wanted, Sophia. I wanted to get to the Sophia. Yep. So we uh, documented that adherence is very poor in uh, the treatment of ADHD. Less than 50% of patients renew their uh, medications. So we developed a text message. It's not an app, really. It's a text messaging uh, intervention that people can sign up very easily. You can uh, onboard through the web. And the program has a variety of components. It's not only reminding people uh, that they need to take their medications for ADHD and any other medication, but provides a wide range of information about ADHD and its treatment that are very critical to adherence. If people don't understand why they uh, have to take the medication, they will not take it. They will not think that it's a necessary thing. So the only thing that is timed is to make sure that the uh, medications for ADHD, if they are stimulants, that they are in a precise timing because they are only prescribed for a limited period of time. And we tested it in primary care medicine at the Mass General, in primary care pediatric, in pediatric psychiatry and adult psychiatry, and we documented an, a very significant improvement. Uh, we had uh, improvement of in excess of 80% uh, of uh, adherence to medication. So it has been very successful for both primary care and uh, uh, psychiatry in improving adherence. And through improvement of adherence, we believe that uh, patients' outcomes are going to be much better. The use of text messaging, if I have time, is uh, the choice of, we chose text messaging because it's the most universal, cheapest way to get messages around. So it's very inexpensive and easy to use. Thank you very much. Great, Joe. Thank you so much. Um, Joe, you can tell, is a, is a real expert in this area, and you can go to his website at mysophia.online. And Sophia is S-O-F, as in Frank, I-A, S-O-F-I-A, mysophia.online. Joe, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate it. My and uh, thank you for being here. Next week, we'll be talking about, uh, we will be talking about fitness and health in spring. I'm going to have three experts on talking about how to get healthy for spring and stay fit. And um, this has been a wonderful time being with you. Come back again next week. We will see you again. And uh, thanks so much, everybody, for being here. Have a great week. Thank you for tuning in this week to Go to Health Radio. 
Be sure to join Jonathan Marks and another health expert next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You can also catch the program on your favorite podcast platform. Until our next show, be sure to visit us on the web at go to healthmedia.com and elevate your life.